All right. Good morning. Hi, my name's Jeremy. I'm the, the youth and family pastor here at Harvest, if, in case we haven't met. So glad to be here. Um, thankful to be in, being able to cover for Steve while he's taking the month of January just to kind of get some rest and reprieve. Um, so fun to open up the Word of God with you guys. I, it's been... It's been such a huge pleasure to be here at Harvest Church. My family and I have grown. We've just grown in love with you guys and, and the body of Christ. It's, it's been a great, great thing. So um, I don't know if you, you saw in the weekly newsletter, but uh, my old church, Calvary Chapel, Santa Barbara, this last week was flooded. Um, the kids' area that I spent so many years in uh, had about three to four feet of water in it. The offices had about five or six inches in it. So it just, it took a pretty heavy hitting. They had a lot of volunteers come this week uh, to, to help out, remove drywall, um, clean services, sanitize, all that stuff. But um, I'm going to be going with a few other friends tomorrow down to down there to go help out with some relief and do some construction. It's, uh, it's, uh, I spent nine and a half years uh, maintaining that building while I was on staff there. So it's, it's just a, I know every nook and cranny in that place. Um, so, I, so I'm looking forward to tomorrow. I just broke my heart to see the floodwaters intrude, but uh, what's exciting to see is the community that, there down in Santa Barbara and then just the extended body of Christ jumping in to help them out. So if that's something you're interested in, let me know after service and we can uh, try to point you in the right direction, but uh, we'll be there. Uh, I'm excited because this morning, Pastor Steve asked me to get to share a little bit of my story, my testimony of why, why I'm here at Harvest and why not still in Santa Barbara. Uh, I started attending Calvary Chapel back in 99 when I moved there uh, for, for college. And uh, in 2005, I was invited on to, uh, to be the facilities maintenance. Uh, and that, that kind of changed over the years, but I was there for nine and a half years. But going back a little farther than that, I was, I was born a, a missionary kid. I was born to missionary parents. They were serving overseas at the time in, in Hong Kong and uh, Macau, South China. And uh, I came along the last year of, of their four-year um, stay there. Um, at that point, we moved to Long Beach, and I was in Long Beach with my parents about seven years until then they moved the missions headquarters that my parents worked for, a little missionary uh, organization called Christians in Action, and that, that moved up to the, the Central Valley. So that's kind of where I spent most of my time. But, you know, missionary, pray, pray for your missionaries because... They are in, in so many ways on the front line, and I experienced that as a kid. Even even serving stateside, it was it was it was rough. Um, we, there was a lot of things that we got to see God do and amazing things, but there was a there was a side of it, especially for us, the financial side of it. Being missionaries serving stateside, raising support was not uh, an easy thing to do. Um, because of that, there was. There was times that we, were, we went without. And so um, being the oldest of the siblings, my parents would often come, and I don't know why they chose to share it with me, but they'd be like, hey, Jeremy, we, we don't have money for food tonight. Will you, will you just pray with us? And I'd pray with my parents, and every time God would just show up in some, some way, uh, people would say, hey, we had some extra pizza from this event that we had here. Can, do you guys want some pizza? And it was like, always like this. Or, or we had some extra bread. It was just always God was providing for our family. So I got to see this, this hardship, but yet the faith side of it, God provided. 
My dad had the story of the first time he and my mom had moved to Macau, South China, and it was back in 1976, 1977, and he was, they were just flat broke. And at that time, you know, phone call stateside would have cost a lot of money, and, and he just had no way of communicating. It was like my parents and God were there in, in Macau, South China. And my dad's walking on the ground, and he sees it like what, the equivalent of a $10 bill, and he puts his foot on it. And he said, Lord, is this from you? We're, we're like, we, they, they had no money for food. And so he stood there, he said, for 10, 15 minutes, just standing on top of this $10 bill. And he's like, Lord, if nobody comes looking for it. And he was like, looking for somebody to come looking for, you know, lost chains. That fall. And, and, and finally, after about 15 minutes, he said, okay, Lord, this is from you. And he took it and he was able to buy a dinner. Like, those are the kind of faith stories that I grew up with. But as great as those things were, my heart became hardened as a kid. My heart became hardened because I saw the toil that it took. You know, we didn't get to wear the, the nice clothes that some of my other friends or drive the cars that didn't break down. All, all those things that I saw as a kid, I, I was like, ooh, you know, when I grow up, I'm going to get a, a nice job and I'm going to provide for my family. I'm going to love Jesus, but I, 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 I never want to be a missionary. I never want to serve at a church. That was my growing up experience. Now, God had different plans for me, as you can tell. Um, it was through Camp's Crusade that God began to like put a little, kind of just a little change of heart in me as far as leadership-wise. And um, after college, I was working in my field of major. I was cartographer, I was, so I was making maps for a, a local uh, environmental company. And I was sitting at the desk for about 40 hours a week just... Uh, creating these maps, finding the data sets, all that stuff. And uh, I grew really tired of listening to the radio. So um, my boss said, hey, well, why don't you listen to this, this pastor? Because I had a question about a, a specific Bible verse. He's like, hey, here, here's some uh, Chuck Smith. Here, listen to these MP3 players. He gave me a few discs, and I listened to it, and I was like, eh, it was okay. And then he gave me, he's like, well, th this guy goes a little bit more in detail. So he gave me a John Corson MP3 of, of his Through the Bible series, and I was hooked. I began just listening 40 hours a week. Anytime I was in the car, I just began listening to these different uh, sermons, different messages, and all of a sudden I realized that I was really spiritually fat, and I needed to do something about it. And so I joined my prayer team at my church there at Calvary Chapel, and I, and I began teaching the fourth grade Sunday school class for, for some reason, nobody else wanted to teach those kids. And they were, they were that was the best class to teach, the, four, the fourth graders. And then that, that kind of worked into, like, realizing that, hey, maybe, maybe this sitting behind the desk thing wasn't for me. And I began looking around and um, I'd grown up being pretty handy, so that kind of worked into construction. And I... My mom bought a house, and I was like, yeah, sure, I can rewire your kitchen electrical. That's, that's not a problem. I can figure it out. And, and I, I, somehow the house is still not burned down. Um, <laughs> and so I just began to look, picking up these skills and ended up picking up a few jobs in construction and, and just really enjoying the hands-on aspect of that until a pastor that it was, I was uh, being mentored by, he said, hey, there's a job at Calvary Chapel. Um, would you be interested in being maintenance oversight? And I was like, well, let me think. You know, that's not, that's not the ministry per se. I'm doing really more facility stuff. I think, I think I can do that. And so I said yes to that. And then that eventually turned into, hey, 
you've been teaching the fourth graders, but would you be willing to teach the fifth and sixth graders each week and kind of, you know, be their pastor? I said, well, you know, I think I can do that because I'm still doing maintenance. I'm still overseeing that. And then it just, over nine and a half years, it morphed into this being the children's pastor and, and just loving my time there and um, just never what I kind of originally thought my life, the direction my life would have taken. My mom knew how much uh, I loved outdoor sports and doing and just my love for expensive things. She's like, Jeremy, anything that's expensive and outdoors, you love it. I grew up rock climbing and mountain biking and stuff. And she saw that and she said, hey, someday you're going to have to get a really good job. Well, I didn't. <laughs> as far as not having a good job, as far as like finances side, but I have the best job ever. Um, so... After being there on staff for about nine and a half years, our, our daughter Elsie was, had been born. We were, we were pregnant with Posey, and we be, I began to get this like kind of a restlessness. And I don't know if it was holy. I don't know if it was from the Lord. I don't know if it was just my selfish. But I began to get restless, and we started looking at different places to move. We were in a two-bedroom apartment in, in downtown Santa Barbara, and neighbors on both sides. And I just felt, oh, is is, Lord, is there something else? I felt like I'd taken the kids' ministry as far as I was capable of doing and maybe it was just time to kind of step down. So we ended up stepping down. I spent five years back in construction, um, worked with my father-in-law for a little while, doing some cell phone, um, stealth cell phone towers. He makes those towers that look like water towers or trees, all that stuff. So I worked for him. And then I got a job down in Santa Barbara for uh, just a high-end carpenter. And it was fun. I mean, kind of endless budgets, um, the clients that are very particular but, but want the best. And that, I just, I, there was something about that I really enjoyed. Uh, but there was also the, the side of me that was still listening to, to sermons on my commute. I was still listening. I was still had that hunger for the Word of God. I still, even as early as I had to be to drive from Santa Maria to Santa Barbara, I still felt the need to have my devotions at 4.35 in the morning before I had my hour-long commute to get to work. And then once I was at work, I kind of felt like, well, this is my flock. These are my, these are my people. And I got to kind of minister to them on the job site. And so we had some really great clients. Things were going. I was working my way towards getting my own contractor's license. And uh, we started attending Harvest. And, and Steve said, hey, I got this job for you. Would you be interested? And it was the callback into vocational church ministry. We had to pray about it. As we prayed about it, we felt like the Lord was really calling us, calling us back into this as a family. So as I approached my old boss, I was a project superintendent for that time, at that time, and he, and he, upon learning that I might be moving out and might be moving on, he got pretty desperate, and he began to say, now, what is it going to take to keep you here? I mean, like, what are we talking? Are we talking about six-figure income? Are we talking about helping, buy, helping you buy a house in Santa Barbara? What, like, what will keep you here? And it was at that point that we had to really evaluate, man, living back in Santa Barbara, there's some pros and cons with that. Uh, but yet being back in ministry and being able to serve others. And so uh, we, we, we said no to that and yes to Steve and yes to Harvest. And it has been such a blessing. It's been such a blessing. No looking back. So that's a little bit of my, <laughs> thanks. A little bit of my story and how that fits in is now Peter's gonna address the church leadership in 1 Peter 5. 
This is his closing address to his letter. And as I've heard Alistair Begg and a number of other Bible teachers say, you can't preach to others unless you first preach to yourself. And that was one of the things I've learned over the years. And so uh, in, a, in a sense, as we look at 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 4, Peter is preaching to myself. He's preaching to me. He's preaching to Steve. He's preaching to Curtis. He's preaching to those in leadership or those maybe even desiring to be in church leadership. So you get to hear a little bit of what's in my head as I preach to myself before I can stand before others and preach to you. Let's pray, and then we'll jump in to 1 Peter 5. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the instruction that brings, the authority that it carries, Lord God. We thank you for the, the righteousness that, that we, we can find in these, in these passages, in these texts. How, how to live, Lord. What to, what to do, Lord. It's, just, it's from you, Lord. So will you speak through your word this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 1 Peter 5, verse 1 says, The elders who are among you I exhort, who I am a fellow elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. He said, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for a dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. This is a, a special passage to me because uh, after being on staff at, Har- at Calvary Chapel for uh, almost five years, Ricky Ryan, who was my senior pastor, who had been since college, he was stepping down to go back to the church that he'd started years ago in Hawaii. And it was a great because he wasn't stepping down because of some sin or something that was shameful. He was stepping down because it was truly what, where God was calling him off into in, the new, in, in this kind of rebirth of, the, of his old ministry. And so Ricky Ryan, as he, as he sat down, he took us on church leadership. He sat down and he took us to this passage and said, hey, as my final message to you leaders, this is, this is kind of what Peter said. I want to pass this on to you. I have that written in my Bible all the way back from then. So he says, the elders who are among you, I exhort. Peter is encouraging the leadership of the church, the shepherds of the flock, and he says, among who I exhort. Exhort is a word we don't really use as much, but the, the Greek word is parakletos, and it means to come alongside. Paul, Paul, Peter says, the elders, the church leadership I, who are among you, I exhort. I come alongside. I who am a fellow heir, uh, elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. At this point, as Paul's giving instruction to the church leadership, Paul, Peter could have pulled out the apostle card. He could have pulled out that, that I'm original disciple of Jesus. I'm one of his 12 apostles. In fact, Peter was not just one of them. He was always first in the list. Whenever you read a list of the disciples, Peter is always the first, and that was because he's the preeminent one. Peter's written about more, you know, in the New Testament. We, I love Peter. He's always, you know, he's either got his foot in his mouth or he's like going for it. I, I, I just... We can all love Peter for those things. But and now as Peter is writing these letters, he, he's given an encouragement. I am alongside you. I'm coming alongside you. Not I'm, not I'm standing over top of you. No, I'm just one of them. I'm one of the shepherds here. 
He says, and, I, and I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ. He was a firsthand witness. So he didn't pull out the apostleship card. He just said, I'm a fellow heir amongst you. And that's part of the role of a pastor is to be there among this flock. And he says, I'm a, a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. There's a future glory waiting for us, for us saints. There's a future glory, a future inheritance that will be revealed. And Peter was, he's like, I'm just one of those guys that are part of that. All the goodness that God has, has for us. And this is his instruction now in verse two. He said, hey, shepherd the flock of God. A shepherd speaks of to feed, to nourish, to care for. The flock is the, 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 the people in the, the local congregation. Hey, shepherd them. Give them the nutrients, the, the things that they need. Serve the local church. And he's going to say how to do that. He said, shepherd them, the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over them, over those entrusted to you. As a pastor, I need to first realize that I, this, this is something that God has called me into, and it's not something that I was pushed. I, there's some pastors that are more outgoing. I am not one of those outgoing. I get super nervous and anxious. Uh, I, I am not the first to be pulled up on stage, or I have to be pulled up on stage rather than, than be pulled down from the stage. And so this is a place where we, we serve by compulsion. Not, will, it's not, it's not, I'm not, my hand isn't forced. If Steve didn't force it upon me, this was, when he asked that, it was, Lord, is this for you? Is this what you're calling me into? And so I say, not willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Am I, have, am I eager for this? Am I ready for this? My mother-in-law is so sweet as she was there watching me while I was working for my father-in-law's business. She's like, Jeremy, you're you're a pastor of these guys and they don't even know it. And, and then really that's what I saw. Like these, these guys that I'm working with, they might never step foot in a church, but man, I can, I can preach to them. I can hear what they're going through and I can encourage them and point them to Christ. And we need to do that without looking for the gain of what it can bring. It's hard when... when you see uh, Instagram things like preachers and sneakers and pastors flaunting wealth or flaunting nice things. Like a, It's not that we stay away from it. There's just a danger in that. And I, I think making these rock star church pastors is, is a scary thing because that's not the exhortation they talk about. It's not the coming alongside. We're just people just like you just trying to figure out and just to walk, you know, walk with the Lord in our own walk. And so I see these videos, and it just, ugh, it's a little awkward. Don't make rock star pastors. That's not the job of a pastor. Pastors are shepherds. Shepherds was a stinky job. You were there amongst your flock, caring for the sheep, picking them up. Like, it was a dirty, stinky job. It's, and that's what a shepherd, a pastor is, the flock of God. I was meeting with someone recently and, and he began just to share some things. It was the, kind of the first time we'd gotten together and he's like, so this is how it works? I just kind of tell you what's going on in my life? And I was like, yeah, yeah you can 
share whatever you want. It'll be between the two of us, and we'll just, and, and I'll, if you want, I can encourage you in some things. And, and so he did. He was, he was able to share some of his life that he'd never shared with some people, other people before, and that was part of the coming alongside him and just encouraging him. And it says, nor as being lords over those or masters over those who, in, who are entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. I realize that my life is under a microscope. I realize that, that as we stand up here, if I can't stand and be alone with God, I have no right to be standing in front of other people. And it's a job Steve, Curtis, and I take very seriously is, is, that, is that there is a weight to being up here on stage. There's a weight to teaching the word of God. James would say that anyone who teaches will be judged more strictly. That is something that just weighs on me, but it weighs on me in a sense that it makes me want to dig into the scriptures even more. And like in Proverbs, it talks about the planting of seeds. The, the sower gets to reap the harvest. Man, what I preach about on Sunday, what Steve or Curtis teaches on a Sunday is just a portion of what we get to learn and intake throughout the week as we study the scripture. I love studying the scripture. I was never, never loved English, but I've learned, grown to love it even more, grammar and all these things so that, so that I can f- fully understand what God's trying to say through his word. So I love the word of God, and I, and I know the importance of having my own quiet time, which is what one of the things I encourage the youth over and over each week is like, man, have your own personal quiet time. It is so important, and I wouldn't preach that unless I do that for myself. It's the, the most important time in my life, in my mornings. So be an example to the flock. And the reason for that is verse four when Peter says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. See, each shepherd, each pastor, each elder serves under the chief shepherd, and that chief shepherd is Jesus. And he will appear. He will come back. He promised if he came once, he's coming back for his second coming. And so we need to realize that the chief shepherd is going to come back. And if we are faithful in what we do, we will receive the crown of glory. It was recently that a student went off to college and she heard about the crowns in Scripture and she sent me back a question. Hey, have you heard about the crowns in Scripture? I was like, no, I haven't. So I began to research and interesting enough, there's five crowns found within the New Testament in Scriptures. I'd love to share you with those this this morning. These these crowns of glory, these crowns that, that, that God will give us upon our faithfulness. So the first one is found in Revelation chapter 1. And that is, uh, sorry, Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. He says, do not fear any of these things which are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw you, some of you into prison and that you may be tested. And you will have tribulation 10 days, but be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. 1 Thessalonians 2.19 says, for what is our hope or joy or crown or rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? So you have the crown of life, you have the crown of rejoicing. There's the crown of righteousness found in 2 Timothy 4. Finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So if you're willing, if you're looking for the Lord's appearing, there is a crown of righteousness that's waiting for you. And then 1 Peter 5, he mentions the crown of glory. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. 
And finally, there's the imperishable crown, 1 Corinthians 9.25. And everyone who competes for a prize is, is, is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. A crown that will be not fade away, not be taken. Now, I'm not sure if those are individual, five individual crowns that will be given to us when we get to heaven, or, or if it's just one specific crown that God will give to us when we, upon, our, upon our victorious uh, reaching heaven. I don't know if those things. My mom would say that people will be like our crowns. As a missionary, she didn't have a lot to show for within our bank account of how she was impacting the world or, or around it, but, but she realized that when she gets to heaven, her bank account will be people. Our rewards in heaven will be the people that we were influenced in this world. And it's interesting that there's five crowns because five in the number, five in the scriptures is the number of grace, and that is fully God's grace that he even allows us to impact the lives of others. So good, the crowns in scripture. These crowns that he says will not pass away. Now in this passage of scripture, as he's talking about church leadership, he uses three specific words. And those are elders, shepherds or pastors, and then overseers. And those are three different Greek words. The elders is the presbyteros. Shepherd is episkopos. I think I mixed that up. Uh, overseer or bishop is episkopos, and then shepherd is poimeno. Uh, those are the different Greek words that are used for those different types of leadership within the church. And in Acts chapter 20, Paul is going to write a very similar thing to the church elders as well. In fact, I'm sorry, he's going to speak a very similar thing. So if you don't mind, turn to Acts chapter 20, and let's look at his uh, warnings for the church there. Because he's going to warn now of predators within and predators without, or predators on the outside. Acts chapter 20 was spoken to the elders at Ephesus, and then we'll pick up in verse 25, and it says, Indeed, now I also know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. Therefore, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. For I, know, for, know, for I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And also from amongst um, yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that the, for three years, I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Peter's about ready to give that same admonition uh, as he's going to talk about things to watch for as well. But the one thing that Paul is passing on to these elders, he says, from amongst you, there's going to be shepherds that are going to rise. There's going to be wolves that are going to rise up. And there's gonna, they're going to seek to deceive. And this, this is what is so scary about the different uh, things that are being taught in different churches. We have to be grounded in, and rooted in Scripture so that we know what the deceptions are that are out there. Uh, the progressive church has moved away from the foundation of who Jesus is. Uh, it's kind of a, an extension of the emergent church that we had about 20 years ago that just kind of morphed into the progressive church. They have progressed away from a biblical Christianity. There are, are, are even uh, very 
scary doctrines being taught within other ch- our ch- churches as a whole. Um, one of those ch- one of those things is is that God will accept the worship of any other religion. The Bible has a lot to say that God is the only God to be worshipped. And so the, when these other churches and these other pastors believe that God accepts the worship of any religion, that is false Christianity. In fact, there is a, a recent study that was done by George Barna uh, through the Cultural Research Center, and he sent out a, a biblical worldview questionnaire for a, a thousand different pastors. And so they, he, re, he got the responses, and I want to share with you them uh, up on the screen about his kind of breakdown. And so Christian pastors, only 37% hold to a biblical worldview. It's pretty terrifying. Less than half churches hold to that. And as you go down the list, you look at associate pastor holds to a 28% view, hold to a biblical worldview. Teaching pastors, even less. Youth pastors, my, my job only 12% of us, according to George Bonner, hold to a biblical worldview. There is deceptions within the church that are coming that say, well, you know, you worship Jesus, they worship Allah, that's okay. That, no, that is heresy. We have to be aware of, 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 of these deceptions that are coming upon that Paul was, was, was talking about. Jesus in Matthew 24 said, said a very similar thing as well. In verses 5 through 14, he said, For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled, for all these must come to pass, but the end of it is not yet. For nation will rise up against nation, and kingdoms, kingdoms against kingdom. And there will be famines, pestilences, earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation to kill you. And you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Then many will be offended, will betray one another, and they will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love, and the love of many will grow cold, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Body. We need to understand. You need to be rooted in Scripture. You need to have doctrine and theology figured out. It's not just the the pastor's job to understand this. This is your job because there is deceptions that Jesus warned about. Peter, Paul, all these things. We need to know Scripture. We need to be rooted and planted that so that when these things come, we we, we know them. And they say, no, that's, that's deception. That's not from the Lord. That's not from Scripture. So if that's the message to pastors and leaders within the church, what is our job as the congregation? Well, verse 5, fast, fast, uh, First Peter, he goes on to say that. Submit to God and resist the devil. He says, therefore, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but he, give great, he gives grace to the, to the humble the church body, we're, we're called to submit to our elders, to those who lead the church. And that's easy sometimes. It's not always easy. I, I was in a situation where a, a good friend of mine was working at a church, 
and he was asked uh, to, to not do a few things within the worship service. And he really wrestled with it because he felt like, ooh, man, this is, this is pretty close to my heart, what, what you're asking me to stop. And so he really prayed about it, and it came down to this. He came down, he had to answer the question, is this biblical, unbiblical, or non-biblical? And I think that's what we have to do when we look at things uh, through the scripture and through a biblical worldview. The Bible has things that it says, yes, this is, yet yeah, you need to do this. Those things are biblical. Um, biblical would be children, obey your parents. That is a command from the Lord. Those are biblical things that we, we are to follow. And then on the other side, there's the unbiblical where the Bible says no. Uh, no that would be, hey, um, should I murder somebody? Uh, no, that's unbiblical. The Bible says don't do, thou shall not murder. Hey, should I steal? No, you shouldn't steal. That, that Bible says no. So there's the biblical where the Bible says yes. There's the unbiblical where the Bible says no. And then there's this like section in the middle, the non-biblical, what the Bible doesn't really explicitly talk about. I love Steve's example a few months ago is, you know, the Bible doesn't say what socks to wear, right? And so he, he, he had these socks, the I love Jesus socks, and, and uh, he said, you know, normally he doesn't wear those on a Sunday because everybody at church already loves Jesus, right? So he didn't wear them, but one Sunday he said, you know, I think I'm going to wear my I love Jesus socks, and that happened to be the Sunday that he got ill and had to go to the hospital. So there he's laying on the hospital bed with his I love Jesus socks, and he's like, oh, Lord, this is why you had me put them on. That, the Bible doesn't say don't put those socks on or do put those socks on. It, it, it was left in that, that, that non-biblical area. But he took the leading of the Holy Spirit. He put those I love Jesus socks on, and he got to be a testimony. He got to be a witness to those doctors and nurses there at the hospital. That falls in, the, in between the non-biblical. And so what my friend was dealing with, he was dealing with these, a few non-biblical things. And so he really prayed about it, like, what, Lord, what do I do with this? And he went to this passage, submit yourself to your elders, yes, be submissive to one another, and be clothed with humility. And so he took that step, and he said, okay, Lord, I'm going to submit to the church leadership and their decision for what you want me to do. And following up years later, he said, Jeremy, I have never experienced so much peace in my life, because I obeyed the scripture, and I submitted unto the elders of the church. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. So that means that as pastors, we cannot uh, go farther than, than our, the, the flock allows. I grew up, I still, I want, I want to be a cowboy. Who wants to be a cowboy? <laughs> yes. My seventh grade summer was spent the whole time at my friend's uh, horse ranch, and uh, it, was, it was great times. I always wanted to do a cattle drive. It just seemed like the coolest thing. I still want to do a cattle drive. Multi-state cattle drive. Driving these, these cattle long distances, sleeping out under the stars, horse. I mean, it just sounds so fun to me. It sounds like a good adventure. But yet you can't drive the cattle faster than the slowest one. You can't take them farther than the, what, what the weakest allows. And so as far as the, the church submission, we, we realize that we have to be careful about, about things. We, 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 we need to be in submission to one another. And, and even as a pastor, I need to be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Much like 
the, the story that Jesus tells at the, at the dinner table. You know, there's, a, there's an important host, and he, um, he, has some, you know, he invites guests. And one of the guests comes, and they sit right next to the, the host. And then the host does something embarrassing. He says, well, no, actually, I want, I want this other person to sit right here. And so that person gets demoted to the end of the table. He says, it's actually better if you sit at the end of the table and then you get brought up. That's, that's, that's better. You get invited up by the host. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Verse six says, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. We humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. So what do we do with these cares that we have? Well, we cast our cares upon him. Verse seven says he cast all our cares upon him. Not some of them. That means when your kids come and say, hey, I, 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 lost, my, I lost my toy, where is it? Well, don't, don't forget about it, it's just a little toy. No, hey, why don't we pray about this and maybe the Lord will show us where this, this little toy is. Let's, let's cast all. Let's learn to cast all of our cares upon Jesus, for he cares for us. And that is a promise in Scripture. This is one of the things that we can hold and stand on. It says, for he cares for you. I know sometimes it doesn't feel like God cares for me. How can I, how can I be going through so, something so hard? Does God even know about me? Does God even care about me? That's the way we feel. But the truth is, God cares for us. That is what you can take to the bank. That is a promise, that is a truth from Scripture that we can, care, that we, we, can, we can stand on. So we cast all our care upon him, for he cares for you. And the Christians during that time, they would have been feeling it, right? They, would have, they were suffering, they were persecuted. Peter's reminder was, cast all your cares on him, for he cares for you. And then he says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Satan knows his end, and yet he still prowls. He still wants to seek to take believers out. And so we need to be sober. We need to be vigilant. We need to be ready for these attacks that will come because our adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion. There's a preacher story. John Corson tells this story, and I tried to verify it, but I'm not sure if I... I, I, I can't vouch for the authenticity of it. So I'll let you do your own research. But John Corson said that the prowling lion, this lion that, or sorry, the roaring lion, this lion is the lion that's the oldest in the pride. And it's the, the lion that's aged, its teeth are a little loose, uh, it's, it's seen its years, and because of that, he's kind of delegated to be the roaring lion. And so that, what the roaring lion will do, it'll go hide in the bushes opposite of the pride. And you have the, the, the animals in between, the, the the, the prey in between. And so this roaring lion will begin roaring from the bushes over here and the prey here in the roaring of the lion will run in the opposite direction, right into the, in, into the pride, into the rest of the animals that attack and eat it. And that lion, the, the roaring lion, is incapable of chasing very fast because it's old and decrepit. And that is what Satan is. Satan was knocked out at the cross. Satan's, what was, 
His power was stripped. He's just a roaring lion now. He's just a toothless, roaring lion who can scare us. But his power was stripped. The devil walks around like a roaring lion. I like how scripture adds that in. Because there's only one lion in scripture. That's the lion of the tribe of Judah. Satan is not a lion. He's a liar. Satan is a thief. Satan is a murderer. It's, there's one lion, and that's Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah. So how do we resist this roaring lion? Well, we resist him by being steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. We can resist him because the Bible says we can resist him. And we resist him by being steadfast in the faith. And the faith in the scripture is the shield of faith. And as the Roman soldiers would lock shields together, they became much stronger as, as, a, as a troop with their shields locked together. That's why it's so important to get involved in life groups and get involved with, in the life of other believers is because you take your shields and you lock them together and then we can advance against the enemy. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you'd suffered a little while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Uh, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Paul wrote this by the hand of Silvanus, our faithful brother, as I consider him. I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. And then he follows it up by, she who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace be all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Great way to end our time in 1 Peter. God has given the church leadership as those under the chief shepherd who will return. But we have an enemy. He's a liar. He's not a lion. There's only one lion. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your, your, your scripture today, Lord. We thank you that you've given church leadership over us, Lord, so that we might... Uh, having examples, so we might uh, have people who watch over us, Lord, Lord, who shepherd the flock, Lord. Lord, we need you, Jesus. We need the chief shepherd. We thank you for what you've given us, Lord, how you've disarmed Satan and made a public spectacle there at the cross, Lord, by rising again from the death, rising again from the dead, Lord, you conquered sin and the grave. You are victorious, Jesus. You are the lion, and yet you're also the lamb, the lamb that was slain. So we give you all praise and all glory this morning. In Jesus' name we pray.